What Came Next is intended for mature audiences only. Episodes discuss topics that can be triggering, such as emotional, physical, and sexual violence, suicide, and murder. I am not a therapist, nor am I a doctor. If you're in need of support, please visit somethingwaswrong.com forward slash resources for a list of nonprofit organizations that can help. Opinions expressed by my guests on the show are their own and do not necessarily represent the views of myself or Broken Cycle Media. Resources and source material are linked in the episode notes. Thank you so much for listening. I first met Danette Owsley in January of 2023 at a survivor's event for victims of all types of crimes. The event centered around healing and community and will be included in an impending documentary by Vice about the genre of true crime. It was an extremely impactful evening and Danette's warmth and strength left a permanent impression on me. Her faith and fortitude after surviving some of life's most horrific tragedies is nothing short of a miracle. My name is Danette Owsley. I live in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. I'm a single mother of three grown children. I have two grandchildren, and I'm also raising my little cousin that I have kinship care. I had him since he was going on two months, and he is now 14 months. I've worked from the age of 15 from working with my father, with the insurance agency, then being a billing clerk and dispatcher with the railroad and a big trucking company. I put others before myself, always thinking about the next person, trying to help them. That's just who I am. I make those sacrifices, and sometimes it's very difficult. Sometimes I'd be a little unsure, like, oh, should I have done this? Because it may be something difficult for me to do. But if I'm able and can try to do it, I will. The night we met, you explained that this was one of the first times you shared what you've gone through. That moved me so deeply because I am a firm believer that at any point in life, it's never too late to share. My mother's birthday is September 25th. This occurred on September 24, 1992. A typical day, my mother went shopping, got her outfit for her birthday. She had these lovely black and red heels. I was like, wow, I just had to get my feet in those heels. I don't know why I kind of dressed up. I had on this really nice bodysuit with a red studded blazer that went perfect with the shoes. I was a little sneaky, so she wasn't aware that I had snuck in and got her shoes. I was going to visit one of my girlfriends at her house. Going back to my parents' home, I ended up stopping at a gas station. It was daylight. Unfortunately, I never made it outside of my vehicle. The gas station wasn't really packed, but there were numerous cars. 
there was an elder man in a truck that was parked right beside me. What I remember is I was fumbling around in the car. As I'm opening the door, by the time I turned, I'm looking into a barrel of a gun. I'm thinking I'm getting carjacked, but that wasn't the case. He forced me to get over to the passenger seat. Of course I did. I didn't scream out or anything like that. I was trying to eye people, like give them a look, like I'm in distress, help me. I know everyone's seen it because he didn't hide the gun. He had the gun out and people were looking. I didn't notice anyone on the phone or calling for help or anything like that. Before we even got out of the gas station lot, he had me get completely naked. He kept the gun on me the complete time while he's driving. If we had to go to reverse, he had me do the shifting. He's just driving along. I'm pretty much just in and out talking to him, trying to distract him. I'm just saying all kind of stuff. At one point, he'd get upset. He'd hit me in the back of the head with the gun, telling me to, bitch, shut the fuck up. Then he'd tell me, you know, I have to kill you. I don't want to, but I have to. He would say things of that nature, and he just kept hitting me in the head. I've noticed police cars passing, and that made me believe that there is no way someone could have called and give a description of the car. Because here I am naked in a car and we never got pulled over. So I'm just like, wow, I felt it. I knew his intentions was to rape me and kill me or kill me, then rape me. But both were actually going to happen. As we're driving, I kept taking blows to the head. I don't know if he was trying to knock me out, which I believe was his intention, but I would say that God made my head really hard because I did not go out. He couldn't knock me out. There was times he would pull over and stop, put the barrel of the gun in my mouth and ask me if I was ready to die. I just closed my eyes in prayer, talking to God, thinking that it was going to be over. And I should say that God answered. He removed the barrel of the gun from my mouth. Then it started back driving. He had me to unzip his pants. Then I thought he was about to get ready to rape me. He drove around for a little while longer with his pants unzipped. Then he pulled over again. He had me open my legs and he inserted the barrel of the gun into my vagina. And he asked me how did I like it and if I was ready to go. Once again, I closed my eyes and prayed and talked to God. Then he removed it and drove off again. He just kept saying that he had to kill me. He didn't want to, but he had to. Every now and then, he would hit me again in the head with the gun. Something in me, I knew it was going to be over. That time was ticking, that it was coming to an end where I knew he was going to pull that trigger and just kill me. It was just crazy how everything transpired. We actually got not too far from my parents' home. Something just came over me and it was just like, well, he's going to kill me, so I might as well die fighting. I planned a little strategy in my head the barrel of the gun is pointing at my temple. I had decided, well, I'm going to count to three, 
push the gun away. And as I'm pushing the gun back, I'll duck to remove my head from the barrel. So if he pulls the trigger, it'll miss me. So that's what I did. Then we were fighting in the car. At one point, I had control over the gun. I pulled the trigger, nothing happened. From my understanding, it was some type of pump. You had to pull the bottom part of the gun, kind of like a sawed off shotgun. The bullets were pretty big. So it was a good thing that the gun never did go off. Because of the close impact, it probably would have took me through the windshield and it would have just splattered them everywhere. I guess that was for the best, that it didn't know how to operate the gun. God was in the midst of all of it. Somehow, I got the passenger door open. The gun fell out of the car and went underneath. The next thing I know, I'm running up Capitol in my birthday suit, butt naked. That's when the police car, they're coming down. They jump out the car. They pull out their gun. He had got the gun from under the car. So he had his gun and I'm thinking like, oh my God, I'm gonna be in the middle of gunfire. But he ended up taking off running. They went after him. I just remember turning around, running back towards my car. I really panicked then. I don't know if it was an aftershock, but I jumped in the car, slammed the door, and I just hit the gas. I just took off driving like a mad woman. I don't know how fast I was going. I just lost myself for a moment. I don't know where I was going. I drove for so long, I kind of settled a little to where I got my head back together a little bit, turned around and went back to the scene. It was daylight when it first happened at the gas station. By the time everything was over, it was night. We drove around from one side of town to the next for over three hours or something before I decided to fight. At that time, they caught the guy. They had him in the back of the paddy wagon. They also had been to my parents' house, which was only a couple of blocks away informed them and they were at the scene in a Burger King parking lot. I just remember seeing all these cars. I spoke with detectives. They sent me a woman detective to speak with. I remember them taking my underwear, my mother's shoes, jewelry for evidence. I never did receive any of it back. My mom didn't get her shoes back. I didn't get any of my jewelry, underwear, nothing. After that, went back to my parents' house, still in shock and shaken up. I think I stayed up the whole night till that morning. One of the officers actually came by. I guess they all had chipped in, the police officers who were at the scene, and bought me a nice big bouquet of flowers, apologizing and stating how they hate that I had went through that. I really appreciated it. That was a very nice gesture on their part. I don't recall talking to any reporters or anything like that. I just know that I spoke with a detective, but they didn't make the papers. My mom, she clipped it out. I think a couple of the things that I read in there wasn't correct. They didn't have all the correct information, but everybody is human and people make their mistakes. Someone said that they heard something on the news. I never seen it, but I was told that. 
And it just got to the point when I would go places, people were telling me that they knew me, asking me for my autograph. I just felt disrespected and embarrassed, unreal. It just took me through a loop. I would have never wanted that to be out there. The people who was around and could see it while it was occurring, that's one thing. But to put it out there to all the public like that, it is news, I guess. But I think when it's you, some people like me, I'm more private. I was just in awe, like, how dare you ask me for an autograph? People would say, oh, I know you. I'm like, no, you don't. I don't recall ever seeing you. No, no, I know you from a bad incident that you were in. You were running up the street naked. Well, no, you still don't know me. And I don't know you. People don't realize that we're not news stories. We're human beings with a lot of feelings going through the height of those feelings at that moment. Right. Correct. I just felt that that's so disrespectful. If anything, I would be like, are you okay? I will keep you in prayer. It's not going to be like, oh, I know you. Can I have your autograph? Yes, there's a delicate way to acknowledge something or someone. How would you want the media and or the public who's watching the media to receive us differently? People who have been through these traumatic events that are making the news stories. To see us as human beings, sometimes I think people lose sight and it's almost like you're a character in a movie or something. But that's not the case at all. We are human beings. This actually occurred. This happened to us. If anything, have empathy and be supportive. What came next for you at that point, Danette? Then it was time to wait on the hearing. At the hearing, come to find out that my abductor, his mom was deceased. His father has spent most of all his life in prison and was still in prison. He was being raised by a grandmother. He also had a pregnant girlfriend. The grandmother and the pregnant girlfriend, they did come to the hearing. There was some type of discrepancy on his age with the birth certificate. They believed he might have been between the age of 19 to 21. I don't know how that could happen, but it was some kind of confusion with the age. He could have faced up to 25 years, but he actually, I think, was sentenced to about 10 years. That was very disappointing for me. He did plead guilty. It went fast. It really did. It went fast. But I just felt like he didn't get the time that he deserved. I don't know how this occurred, but I received a threatening phone call from prison stating that that incident that I was in wasn't over. He's coming back to finish the job. I reported the call, so he should have had even more time that he was already supposed to serve. But I don't think that happened. How did he get the phone number? He got the phone number. There probably was an address showing as well. It's a possibility he could have got it off of paperwork from his attorney or whatever. He might have served the 10 years or close to the 10 years. But I do know that I was not informed when he got released. 
they was supposed to inform me and they did not. That really upset me very much. Later, I had received a call from a young lady who happened to have been his PO officer. She wanted me to come in to talk to her. This is how I actually found out that he was released. I was like really confused when I got the call and he had already been out for a little while. She had no empathy, nothing but what I had gone through. She was just like, if he was to see you today, he wouldn't know who you are. He don't even remember doing anything. And I'm like, he know he served time in prison for something, right? All of a sudden, yeah, you know, he found God. He's a changed man. Well, my thing is, don't they all find God when they're in prison? She made me very upset. Like, what is wrong with you? Who is the system here to protect? I thought they're supposed to protect the innocent and the ones that are being victimized and violated. But at times, it just don't seem that way. I haven't heard anything and I haven't checked if he's deceased or if he's in prison or committed any crimes or anything like that. I feel out of sight, out of mind. I haven't tried to count how many times I may have had a gun put to me. Sometimes I do feel like I wear a sign that say like, here I am, come get me or something to that effect. I just draw the wrong attention or something. I've been carjacked at gunpoint. Thank God he didn't shoot me then. Now I'm to the point, you can put me in a grandma, old pinto, as long as it can get me from A to B. I'm good. I'm so happy. I don't need nothing flashy, nothing to draw attention to me. I'm so sorry that you have been victimized so many times by these predators. May I ask how long after the abduction were you carjacked? The actual carjacking, I would say maybe six, seven years after, I had this Lexus, beautiful car. It was my dad's and he gave it to me. It was a coupe, limited edition, fully loaded. Man, everybody wanted that car. Everywhere I went, people were asking little questions. Then it made me feel a little uneasy. There were times where I was being followed and I would drive to a police station. I would never go to my destination. I think that's why I said the thing about these cars, the attraction. I don't know if you want to call it bad luck or I don't know what it is, but it did have a big effect on me. Just having fear of going to the gas stations or going to the store now makes you more aware, very observant. I'll go 20, 30 minutes out the way if I have to until I feel safe enough to where I can get out and go into the store. I'm that way to this very moment. It's so important. Pay attention to your surroundings. If something don't look right, don't feel right, follow your gut and do not take a chance. I've been blessed to have a very close-knit family, very supportive and loving family. We comfort each other. We strengthen each other. I definitely owe that to my parents. They never pushed me into speaking on more than what I wanted to speak on. But if I needed a shoulder to cry on or just a hug and letting me know that they're there, if I had anything to say, they listened. They were just there. 
I couldn't ask for anything more. At one point, they did ask me if I wanted further help to go get therapy, but I chose not to. I never did. Despite whatever I've gone through in life, I never did. I would advise, though, to people who go through traumatic experiences, it probably would be better to get therapy and talk about it and not hold it in. As you live and go on in life, you're still going to live with it every day, knowing how to cope and to continue to progress in life. You can continue to live and be breathing, but you can be in depression, in a lot of fear, things that can hold you back from actually living life because you want to live life. You don't just want to be existing. For a while, I just existed doing what I had to do just to be breathing on this earth. And that's not what you want. You want to actually live life, create memorable moments, have fun, enjoyment, especially for those who don't have a supportive family such as myself. Seek that help. Get help. Go to therapy. Can I ask how much you've shared with your children specifically about what you've gone through? I'm a parent too. There are interesting conversations we have to navigate, right? I'm just curious how or when maybe you have or have not navigated with them. Well, now they know everything, all details. But for years, they didn't. Since I spoke of it with you guys at the event, that's really when I got all the detail. Before then, they knew I was abducted. They just didn't know what all transpired. I'm hard on my kids. I get on their nerves. I try to drill in their head. Don't act like things cannot happen to you because it can happen to anyone. There are many victims out here, and I don't want you to be a victim. Pay attention. I continue to do what I have to do as far as living, raising the kids, helping with my grandkids. I now have the 14-month-old, so staying busy. I am working on a book now. I have to thank my cousin for the encouragement to write my story. And trust and believe there's so much more. I've been through a lot. I really have with date rape and a number of things, even some physical abuse in my relationship. I will just be letting it all flow. I'm going to put it all out there in hopes that it will help someone, even if it's just one person. But I think it's time now. And it'll be a healing process for me. I partnership with my cousin that has been through a traumatic experience. We teamed up together to try to build a platform. We do have a YouTube channel now, Sip and Speak the Tea with D&D to talk about some positive things. That helps too, just to put your mind into something else. Because like I said, trauma, you live with it to your dying day, to the day you leave this earth. You can't let that take over your life. It's about pressing on, moving forward. I would say don't feel embarrassed or ashamed. Don't be afraid to talk about it. However you see fit that works for you, the therapy that works for you. It took many, many years. 
I'm not even actually healed, to be honest with you, because I buried it. I never really spoke on it. I never really fully opened up about it. I guess everyone handles their situation their way, but I think I would have done better if I would have opened up because I dealt with a lot of depression, a lot of fear, and I stayed stuck for years. Not days, not months, but for years. And you don't want to do that. Don't bury it within yourself. So I would say seek the help that you need. Find whatever that support is. There may be groups where people who have gone through something similar, they may have sessions when they get together. Get involved. Whatever you feel that can help you, get that help because it's important. Absolutely. You said something so poignant. I'm not healed. I'm healing. However, to your testament, when you go through such an invasion and an attack, your healing is a continuous process. And that's one reason why we called the show What Came Next. The reality for many of us victims, it's forever, right? The healing never really stops. That's true. Unfortunately, things took a turn. In 2001, I became ill and I was put on permanent disability. That was a trying time for me, going through that transition. Um, not working, a big decrease in income, having to care for my children and being a homeowner. I know now I'm stronger than what I thought. I live life in reality. I don't go through life not thinking that things cannot or will not happen to me because I know that there is a possibility. We all have to recognize that there are always possibilities. That's how I live throughout each and every day. Anything can happen at any given time. I don't live in a lie. I don't live in a fantasy. I live in reality. With my illness, and a lot of people look at me like, you're not ill, nothing wrong with you. Oh yes, there is. I can be sitting up one moment and laying on the floor the next. My body can just literally go out at any second. I literally walk by faith. I'm not supposed to leave without a cane or a walker and a phone. But I've made it through my struggles. Thank you, Lord. I'm very thankful and then very blessed. I count my blessings every day. I don't take life for granted at all. I have learned so much about fortitude and faith from you. So thank you for sharing. I am definitely going to include your YouTube channel. Are there any other methods that you'd want to include of people contacting you or following you? If anyone have suggestions or any comments or questions or anything, they can email me at sipandspeakthetea at gmail.com. And I will answer any questions or comments they have. I just am so appreciative that you gave me so much of your time and giving us so much of yourself. Thank you, Danette. Thank you for allowing me to share with you. According to the Rape, Abuse, and Incest National Network, otherwise known as RAIN, nearly half a million Americans 12 years and older will report being sexually assaulted or raped each year. 
That means roughly every 68 seconds, another American is sexually assaulted. In relation to abduction, and as stated by the Counter-Trafficking Data Collaborative, over 600,000 Americans go missing each year. 25% of abduction victims are children, with the typical abduction victim being women between the ages of 15 and 30. 70% of abduction victims are abducted for purposes of sexual exploitation or assault. Over half of sexual assaults and rapes are committed by someone known by the victim, and 60% of all abductions are committed by strangers. Based on the statistics I found, Wisconsin, the state in which Danette lives, has the sixth lowest abduction rate in the entire country. Women of color, bisexual women, and the LGBTQIA community are victimized at the highest rates. Stay safe, friends. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. Next week on What Came Next. I did get death threats. I did get bombarded with computer viruses. I even had a stalker at my house, which was left out of the documentary, surprisingly. I have no idea why that was left out. What Came Next is a Broken Cycle Media production co-produced by Amy B. Chesler and Tiffany Reese. If you'd like to help support What Came Next, you can leave us a positive review, support our sponsors, or follow Broken Cycle Media on Instagram at Broken Cycle Media. Check out the episode notes for sources, resources, and to follow our guests. Thank you again for listening.